0: Welcome to episode 11 of the Beyond the Lecture Podcast. I'm Jason Lodge.
1: And I'm Rachel Sexton.
0: In this episode, we talk to Professor Rose Luckin, and Rose is from the UCL Knowledge Lab at University College London.
1: We spoke to Rose about AI in higher ed, and our minds are blown, so I hope yours is too.
0: Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So... Can you give us a bit of a sense about how you got into this area of artificial intelligence and education? It seems quite cutting edge and, and exciting. What, what brought you to this, to, th- to this area?
2: Well, actually, I got into it in 1990 when I went to university as a mature student, but previously I'd done quite a lot of teaching, so I was interested in the teaching process. I knew nothing about computers and I saw this course called Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence. I thought, what's that? That sounds really interesting. I did my undergraduate degree, and the, it was a really it, enjoyable experience because it was very interdisciplinary. So, it included linguistics, cognitive psychology, cognitive philosophy, of course, programming, computer science, etc., etc., and AI as a subject. But I became increasingly interested in the psychology of learning, and particularly theories around the psychology of learning. So, I realized that I wanted to look at applying artificial intelligence to education. So I did a PhD, ostensibly in cognitive science, but it was actually all about building a little AI piece of software. Really enjoyed it. Great. Wasn't a huge amount of interest in AI and education at that time. And in fact, AI was just coming to the end of a bit of a false dawn. And so I went on. I was very lucky managed to get some research funding to do some more work on this little bit of software that I built and over the years kept managing to get little bits and pieces of money to keep the AI stuff going whilst at the same time doing more mainstream human computer interaction and then education technology based work and then about five years ago I felt I think AI for might be getting a little bit more of an interest stream so went back to work that i would actually been doing in the background for quite a while and started trying to talk to people about AI for education to get the conversation going because AI was really starting to become popular and I think in the UK once Google DeepMind had been formed then it's been a bit of an avalanche of interest Mm in AI, and now just starting to get a little bit of interest around AI for education so I kind of started a while ago managed to keep a little bit of it going and now it's come to the front again, and yet fundamentally I don't think it's changed hugely yes, deep learning as it's called Mm. has come on the scene, but in a way it's some of the same techniques, obviously developed in very intelligent and clever, smart ways, but largely it's that the technology's caught up with some of the things people were talking about doing in the 90s, but couldn't do because Mm. we didn't really have the capability within the technology to do it. So Mm. it's sort of like now things are meeting up, which means that so much more can be done. Mm. But... Education really needs to start getting hold of the attention if it's going to get the benefits from AI that it could.
1: The creeping definition of AI really fascinates me. I think the fact that you know we have apps and smartphones and smartwatches and Siri and all of these things that have infiltrated our everyday lives, Mm -hmm. and yet we don't seem to we don't refer to them as AI, um, uh, and we don't think of them as AI. And so what? What is included in that AI bubble? And, and do you have any, in, any sort of thoughts on why the definition is, is creeping in that way? Why well, we don't notice that AI is integrated in our lives? It's so interesting, isn't it? The fact that we don't notice.
2: Yeah. It's both interesting and worrying. Yeah. Because it is AI. Yeah. I mean, things like, say so we rely on language understanding by a computer, which is a form of artificial intelligence. Mm. And natural language processing and natural language understanding has increased in its accuracy, phenomenally in the last few years, Mm. but somehow because it's in common use, people don't think of that as being AI. Generally, I often start talks with, what do you think AI is, and ask the audience, and I will guarantee that robots, scary, (laughs) Siri, (laughs) Post-apocalyptic. ...will be the kinds of things, and generally people think in terms of the technology... Mm but they think in terms of it as something they can touch type technology whereas something like Siri oh I've been using it for a while and it's gradually kept up they do sort of see it as AI but not in the same genre and yet actually therein lies a bit of a problem in that I think because most people don't really understand anything about AI and in a way why should they they don't necessarily see some of the risks in what they're doing with these systems and actually that is a reason why they should understand more about AI. I don't mean I want everybody to learn how to write program code and build AI system, absolutely not at all. But I do think everybody needs to be taught the fundamentals of what AI can and can't do in order to protect themselves and also in order to benefit from it. In the most effective way mm. so the grieving definition is potentially both useful and harmful in that it's useful in that people are starting to accept these things without thinking about them but therein mm. lies the problem yeah they're not thinking about them
1: yeah the the negative cons- potential negative consequences exactly yeah. so it's a, it's it's hard
0: yeah I, I guess there's kind of a, a perception or and I certainly not knowing a lot about this area I'd I'd always had this perception until fairly recently that when we talk about AI, we're really talking about this kind of super intelligence, this Mm. sort of idea of a general AI that can do all of the things that humans do, but to a a kind of greater extent. And it wasn't until I looked at some of Nick Bostrom's work. it's really interesting. Yeah, it was great. It started to tease apart what the different ways in which we might think about artificial intelligence might be. And then I started to get a bit more of a sense that, oh, actually, it's not just this kind of superhuman that can do all these amazing things. It's much more about these kind of specific things, you know, like right back to when um, Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov and and those sorts of things. It's a much more specific. And then I sort of started, oh, right. So what we're really talking about here is a whole lot of different things that are, you know, aspects of what we might do, um, but doing them in a way that's sort of, far superior to what we can do. Is, is that a, a sort of accurate...
2: Yes, I think that's a good way of talking about it. I mean, I think the notion of general AI, which is affectionately referred to as the singularity, for me personally, I philosophically, I don't think it'll ever be possible, but a lot of people do, and fine, very smart, intelligent people do. Um, but what I think is a much more useful way of thinking about it is the specific sorts of AI... What can we do usefully with AI now? And we can do a lot of really useful things. But I think over the timeline, thinking about your comment about Deep Blue, I remember all of those things, and, and you know, early systems that lived in middle model worlds and, and all of these kind of things, that actually every time we think we're getting close, we realise that things we've taken for granted in our own intelligence incredibly difficult to automate. Mm. And so you get a certain way along the path and then it's not back again and then we get a bit further along the path. So I think if we really want to keep the momentum going and get it is about well what can we do with it usefully now, rather than constantly focusing on the kind of dystopian or whatever. Yeah, terminators are (laughs) going to kill us all. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, trying to be... uh, But I am a
1: pragmatist. Yeah, yeah. So on that point about about how we can best use AI to solve, I suppose, the world's biggest problems within an educational context, uh, you know, we use social media to assist our learning, we use um, intelligent tutoring systems, um, you know, online platforms, all of these things. What does artificial intelligence... Um, or how can we use artificial intelligence in 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 an educational context? I think it's not just
2: AI in and of itself. Mm. I think the key thing is the combination of big data, as you might like to call it, and AI. And I think if we get it right, there's a huge amount of potential for us to be able to scoop up a lot of very fine-grained, detailed data about people and their learning. And if we use what we know from the learning sciences, so psychology, neuroscience, education, sociology, if we use what we know about how people learn to analyse that data, then we can start to understand a lot more about the teaching and learning process. Mm-hmm. Now for me, what I think is the most interesting about that is if we can help people understand themselves more effectively. So I'm not particularly interested in faster intelligent tutoring systems or the notion of a robot tutor. I'm Mm. much more interested in how you empower teachers to be better human teachers because they understand a lot more about their learners and where students are having particular difficulties and where they're not where to put in that important human intervention and similarly helping learners to understand themselves more and particularly helping learners to be the best learners they can be because whilst there's huge disparity in views about what AI will do in the future of the workplace other than it will change it (laughs) you know Some people say there will be less jobs, other people say there will be more jobs. One thing we know for sure is that people are going to have to be flexible and they're probably going to have to learn way into their 60s and 70s. So actually being good at learning is going to be really important. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we could empower both teachers and learners because of that combination of the sort of data we can collect and that sort of AI analysis that's rooted in what we know about how people learn and interestingly we're finding that things that were originally tested perhaps by psychologists and by social sciences are now being backed up by neuroscience evidence so things like the relationship between emotion and learning we're now starting to see which is really nice and you think okay so now we know this how can we use that to help people be the best learners or be the best teachers that they can be. That's my take on where mm. A.I. Ed could be. Yep. But of course, it could also be bigger, better, intelligent tutoring systems. Yep. It could be things like Watson. Only that's where things start to fall apart. Because of course, Watson is a really, really clever knowledge base that's very accessible. And I'm not demeaning it in the least, but it isn't a teacher,
1: Hmm.
2: and I think that's where we're starting to realise that teaching requires so much more, I mean, those of us in education already knew that, but I think there's a greater appreciation that Mm -hmm. to be good at teaching needs more than subject knowledge.
1: Is it equipping teachers with intelligent learning analytics or data analytics? Yeah, I think it is, but it's also,
2: and this is where I think we have to be really careful a lot of the so-called learning analytics that I've seen isn't actually that useful. And I do feel that people have been have focused on things that it's easy to show rather than things that really matter. Now, of course, I understand for universities dropout rates important. So looking at how we can see who might be going to drop out. But, you know, there's so much more we could do. So I think the way you started that question is really important. What are the big problems you know what are, that's where we should start mm. so what are the real problems so the real problems as a university teacher I find is more and more students you know with just me or you know a small team and it seems like more and more information to try and get them to understand so okay how can we do that more effectively well certainly if we help them to be better at learning that's going to yeah. help and if we can help, Ourselves to be better at teaching because we understand our learners more and we can also see where what we're doing as interventions is and isn't having an impact. So yes, it is about smart data analytics for mm-hmm. teachers but done in a way that really addresses problems that that teacher sees that they have which means I think that we have to help educators understand enough about AI and data to be able to prove that information, ask the right questions, if you see what I mean, mm-hmm. so that they get the most that they can out of the data and out of the AI, which comes back to the beginning of our conversation. Everybody needs to understand a certain amount about what it's reasonable mm-hmm. to expect of an AI so that they do demand what that AI can deliver. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean? Yep.
0: This sort of reminds me of—I'm sure you're familiar with Brian Baker's notion yes, yes. of the the, the stupid in, um, machine systems and the intelligent humans, yeah. and how the best to interface those those two yeah. things. It it sort of strikes me that there's there's going to be a growing gap between the sorts of things that machines are really really good at and get faster and more efficient at doing, and the sorts of things that humans do that machines are not particularly good at doing. I think you've alluded to that a couple of times. So, I mean, what? I sort of think of this given, you know, I've got a background in in science, I sort of Mm. think of this as a difference between a sort of analytic approach and just, you know, the the quick churning through the data and a much more synthetic approach, which is, you know, things like a teacher can stand in a room and there are all of these students in there and the teacher will know very quickly whether or not what they're trying to cover is confusing because they'll very quickly process the, you know, the the fact that the students have got a confusion face, which is pretty obvious to, to most people. Whereas machines are really terrible at doing that. So is, there, is, there, is that really the, the crux of the kinds of issues that we're talking about here is that machines are going to get much, much better at being able to you know, churn through certain types of data and give certain information. But people, both in a teaching context and then you know, in the future, the sorts of graduates that, and the sorts of work that they're going to be doing in the future, is going to potentially rely much more on this sort of synthesis and, and bringing disparate ideas together and the things that machines are not particularly good at.
2: I think that's true. And I think that we've got two different sorts of comment to make about that. The first is that I think where AI could help me as a teacher as I look at my group of students is it might tell me some of the things that have gone on with those students when I haven't been with them. So many years ago, about 10 years ago actually, I had a very, very good PhD student who did a lovely piece of work looking at how um, this was... Sense-based technologies can help us understand more about students' emotions, particularly anxiety and boredom, and when they were learning a language. And it was really interesting that, and not surprising actually, when we analysed a lot of data, and it was a very nice piece of work. But she'd got multiple data sources—not just the data that came from the particular devices—but she'd also asked all the students to keep diaries and she'd mapped out the physical locations of the classroom and lots of different factors. Not surprisingly, when you look at the literature around anxiety and emotion, the things that have actually had the biggest impact happened outside the classroom. And so I think where AI could help with that information is to give us, as human teachers, information about some of the things that might have happened with their students before they'd arrived with us. I remember, before I even studied AI, teaching um, a group of adults with special needs. Very challenging, especially as I had no training in doing it. Um, but I I really knew that with one of my students, you who know, had a very, very volatile and disturbing family background, that I I learned to tell the signals that something had gone wrong before he'd arrived in the classroom, perhaps something at home. I always wished I could have known more about because I knew I had to behave differently according to the particular thing that had happened before we'd arrived now I think AI might be able to help us with that as human teachers because it can scoop up so much information although of course there are lots of ethical and privacy issues around that I admit the other thing that comes to mind in response to your question is I think there are some really key skills that humans have that AI absolutely doesn't, may never, but may, depending on where you sit philosophically, but certainly doesn't at the moment. And that is, AI doesn't know what it knows. There is no metacognition in any AI system. We can be good at it. We can be helped to be good at understanding what we know. We're not naturally necessarily, but we can be good. Those are the sort of skills that are going to be absolutely at a premium because we can't automate them. So that kind of self-knowledge, self-efficacy, all of that stuff. And that does involve synthesis, you're right. But it's more, and I think those are the things that we've really got to focus on when we're looking at where the right interface is between the AI and the human eye is that nice complement.
1: It almost seems like we're going back in time a little bit then if... The influence in, in 21st century skills uh, seem to be more general kinds of skills like the uh, critical thinking and self-regulation, self-regulated learning. I think creativity even even makes the list. Yeah. Uh, and those to me seem like really general skills that you could apply to any sort of specific problem. Um, and that's was kind of the focus of education a century ago. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you see AI as playing a critical role in that shift?
2: I do, and I think it's a real challenge, because at the moment most education systems value the evidence of effective routine cognitive processing and subject knowledge, which is the easiest thing to automate, and at some point we've got to shift towards the things we can't automate. We're doomed, if we don't, being blunt. That is when you get dystopian futures because you're just training people to do what we can automate. Yeah, know, what can't we automate? That's what we've got to focus on. But at the same time, I don't think we can throw that whole notion of any kind of subject knowledge away. So I'm not trying to say, oh, nobody needs to learn maths or English or geography or history. I think we probably need to do it in a different way. So it's challenging for a lot of education systems things like collaborative problem solving as a way of learning about a subject area you can start honing those human skills of do I understand my peer? why don't they understand me? Mm. What, you know how do we develop a shared situation definition? Mm. What's the basis for feedback all of those m- much more difficult, higher order questions but at the same time, we're trying to solve a problem, perhaps an interdisciplinary problem because of course that's the other thing, going back to your point about synthesis, you know, synthesising geography, history, some English together to solve a problem and learning those higher order skills. Now that might be, but of course collaborative problem solving has a checkered history in education in that although there's much evidence to show when it's done well, it's effective. Most of the time it's not done very well because it's not very easy and a lot of teachers aren't trained in it and they don't feel confident and they're worried about it and then it doesn't go well and they're, oh no, I'm not doing that collaborative problem solving thing. Now again, that's where there's a problem. How do we help people be more effective at collaborative problem solving? Well, AI can help there because of course some of the information that we can record and we can analyse and we can present back can help people become better at collaborative problem solving but it can also highlight to the teacher where people need help and when they need help so I've got six groups of five students working together you know if I can have an AI system that can because it can't analyse everything about collaborative problem solving but can kind of come up with enough information to say this group's really struggling over here they haven't even got off base one that need they don't understand the problem they don't understand each other Or, this group's flying, but they're just going a bit too far? Do you see what I mean? So again, it's that blend, as you said earlier, of AI, HI, how do we bring it together? But using approaches that are developing the right kind of skills, whilst at the same time helping students to understand the subject content, because I can't believe we don't still need it mm-hmm. in some ways, but in a much more flexible and potentially applied way.
1: Your know, collaborative problem solving is an interesting example to think about in terms of AI, because I imagine you you have to have some level of understanding about you know what the best group is, you know, yes. to affect... Learning to improve learning in the first place, and so it, it feels like there's, it's, it's a difficult balance between you know understanding learning and teaching first of all, and then using AI, uh, using that in an AI context to improve learning, and so which comes first? It's a yeah, bit of jostling it's there. tricky. I mean, there's enough information
2: about different stages in the collaborative problem solving process. Well, again, that's somewhere where AI can help us recognise when students are in those different stages. There's information from research evidence about what makes a good collaborative problem solver. It's not totally conclusive, but there's pretty good stuff out there. Mm. So if we can help develop that information in a way that can be used by human teachers as they support their groups and by AI assistants... Mm. Then we can probably do better groupings of students, and we can look at how the relationships evolve over time, and see how we might alter groupings or keep them the same. Or, you know, there's so much for me. There's so much excitement in what could be done if we get it right in terms of where we focus the human attention and where we focus the AI attention.
1: Absolutely.
0: A lot of that sounds like a kind of speed issue really because it it almost seems like the part of the aim in in those examples that you're giving is that it's about trying to provide almost real-time data to a degree so that a a teacher can almost triage if you like. So we've got a room full of students and I can very quickly, you know, on top of my own abilities, you know, augment those with data that's coming in in real time so that Mm. I can triage what's happening you know um as as efficiently as possible yeah
2: absolutely yeah. that 's what it 's about for me, mm-hmm. and identifying the sweet spot when you 're giving the human enough extra information at the right time that 's what we need to aim for we shouldn 't be looking to build systems that can become collaborative problem solving teachers why why would we do that? but we should be looking to build systems that can become assistance to teachers. Mm-hmm. As they try and do
0: this. Which I guess, I guess goes back to what we were talking about earlier in, in terms of um, not knowing for certain which jobs are going to be automated yeah. and various other things yeah. in the future. That, that starts to tease apart that distinction and, and why it will be important to have teachers involved in, you know, in these situations going forward and how we can then maximise the benefit of yeah. having that teacher there.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah I think it's... The, the, the desire to somehow totally replace a thing in order to see it as an AI hmm. is incredibly strong Even though when you say it like that it seems obviously wrong it's amazing yep. how strong it is as you look at the kinds of things people try and do
1: you don't want to make a mistake for human <laughs> <laughs> yes that's
2: true yeah, absolutely we don't although unfortunately we do it a lot yeah you know but yeah it's 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 a strange thing I buy a Oh that's yes, that's, that's <laughs> not taking the shame being Right. Yes, yes. yes. It, it's still out there, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's a very active meme. People think in terms of that. And I was talking to somebody um, only last week um, about you know the kinds of people who are willing to invest in this space. You know, because there's a lot of charitable foundations, but also wealthy individuals who. You know might say actually i'm going to build a school of the future, and it's going to be AI I'd be very interested to know how many of them would still see a robot at the front as the way <laughs> in which that would be achieved. i don't know I might be completely wrong, maybe they wouldn't, but it's it's a very strong yep. image, and quite hard to get a, get away from, mm. and in fact. I wrote a little then blog post for um, a publication that's only available online called How We Get to Next um, at the end of last year and it was all about Colin, the AI assistant. I never, it was, we they did it with a co-author and neither of us ever had an image of a robot when we were writing together and yet what did the graphic person just put the robot on <laughs> Where did that come from? We never actually had any physical representation. We actually said explicitly in the text there is no physical representation of Colin. And, you know, and yet we have things like Siri and Alexa. Okay, people Alexa, people. there is a physical thing. And I suppose Siri, there's the phone. But people immediately think it's a robot. Mm. It's funny. It's
1: like mm-hmm.
0: a Jetsons theme. Yeah, <laughs> it is.
1: It is. Yeah. The other thing that I... have been finding really fascinating um to think about you know in terms of AI and education is is to flip it. We've been talking about using AI as a tool for teaching and learning. But can we use AI to help us better understand learning? And I've, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm thinking about you know, those deep neural nets that are progressing quite rapidly. And I, I'm not sure if, they got to the, if they're at the stage where they're unsupervised yet, but they're pretty good and they solve, they're able to you know, recognize faces from images and all sorts of objects and images. Um, and so do you see um, a place for AI in, in helping us to advance our understanding of how people learn as well? Definitely, definitely. And I mean, make no mistake, I
2: think these things are really clever and the stuff that's going on with deep learning is really really clever but it still can only do a certain amount of (laughs) of stuff like it doesn't understand itself (laughs) Um, and so I think it could really help us to unpack what's going on for people when they're learning in a way that we haven't been able to because we just haven't been able to process the huge amounts of data I mean, that is the thing that's really clever about these systems, is that they can learn vast amounts of information really quickly in comparison mm-hmm. to a human. It's a very particular sort of learning, but they can. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what could we understand about human learning through understanding more about artificial learning? And, and in actual fact, way back when I studied AI, that was one of the primary objectives of the AI and ed community was to try and understand more about human learning by creating artificial tools to help us understand and that again is an area that sort of died off but I think might come back again
1: Mm.
2: because yeah I think there are opportunities to do that to try out different things to test it with a machine to, to build research tools that are AI systems that we can test and probe and so that we don't have to test and probe humans but it's not easy, but I definitely think there's a possibility of doing that, and that would be a nice way to go as well, to use it to understand more about ourselves in multiple ways.
1: Yeah. I suppose a lot of people talk about you know the lecture being dead, and I you know, wonder in some ways whether uh, uh, the proverbial lecturer is, is dead. dead, but I yes. think you're talking about some sort of middle ground. I think mm-hmm. it's some sort of middle ground. I was really intrigued. I watched the program called
2: the AI race on ABC last week. Sorry, probably shouldn't say. But that's where it was. That's where I saw it. And uh, I was relieved to see that the analysis that had been done for the programme said that university professors only were likely to have 13% of their job automated. So I thought... (laughs) It'd be all the administrative bits. It'd be great. (laughs) That would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, Whereas carpenters, unfortunately, it's 55%. So, you know, I felt...
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) But, you know, I think... It is much more of a middle ground and it is a case of helping educators to embrace the bits of AI that are relevant to them. And so it's not about everybody needing to understand the nuts and bolts of deep learning, but it is about educators in particular, because otherwise who's going to help everybody else? understanding enough that they can help people develop the right sorts of skills for the future. I mean it's fine to say to an academic in who teaches English, look, your students have got to develop these sorts of skills and and abilities, but if that academic doesn't understand why, because they don't understand what it is that AI is likely to do, how can they join it up? So we have to help them understand. And we have to do the same with school teachers. I worry about educators and trainers because who is watching out for them? Who is going to help them understand enough so that they can help everybody else? You know, where are we going to? Fo- when are we going to focus on them?
0: Yeah, because it sounds like there's quite a few implications in all of this for teachers at all levels, as you're saying. Yeah. So, on the one hand, there's the the implications in terms of the way that we deal with knowledge and information in the future, so that the education that we're providing for our students is the best education that we can give them in order to cope with these changes that are on the horizon. The other side, of course, is then how do we um, prepare educators for a world in which artificial intelligence is going to increasingly impact on what they do in their teaching? I, I think, you know, in a higher education context, it becomes even more challenging when you've got a lot of people who don't have really strong backgrounds in education. So this is sort of an, an additional thing on top of the additional yeah, thing that they're absolutely. not necessarily highly confident in. So it sort of strikes me there's, a, there's some real challenges there. It, have you got a sense about how we might best tackle that?
2: I think it is a huge challenge. So I have some ideas, but I don't know that they're anything like answers. I've always found in the work that I've done with educators, because all of the research I've done over the years has been participatory, I always try and engage with the people that we're working to benefit. And you have to tap into something they care about and they know they need to understand. I think I challenge anybody to, to find academics who don't care about the subject that academics in, they really do. And I think therefore if we can frame the thing they need to do in a way that shows how that will keep their subject area alive, how it will help their students get employment, I think they will engage with it. But I think we've got to do it in a way that uses their human expertise and doesn't scare them off with stories of being automated or whatever. And at the moment, I think when people talk about AI, as we said at the start, they think about technology, because actually AI originally was much more about understanding intelligence, and that's both human and artificial if you don't understand what you value about human intelligence what is it that you're going to develop as artificial intelligence so actually I think it's about intelligence and respecting human intelligence and then trying to see where we we map the two things together Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way of thinking about it, I think. And as a teacher, the problem is often in communicating that intelligence to yes, people who don't yeah, have absolutely. that same knowledge. And so I wonder then if you could use uh, AI systems you know, to, for professional development for teachers. Definitely. Well.
2: But perhaps not in, in the way that one immediately thinks. And this is where I found it very, very interesting to sit down with different organisations and say, so So, what is the problem you're trying to solve? So I'm very lucky in that I work with quite a lot of startups and SMEs as part of my role, and because a lot of them are trying to use AI. So we do, we're doing some work with one particular small company at the moment, and their main offering is that they link human teachers in one part of the world with students who are struggling in another part of the world. And the idea is that the teachers are coming from a place where we can afford them, so it's outsourcing of a kind, but it's all about human interaction supported by technology. In this instance, it's audio and shared workspace, no video because there's the young children and children who are struggling. Now the benefits of that kind of one-to-one human tutoring are huge, huge amounts of evidence to support that, and it works very well. But in order for it to work, the human teachers have got to be good. So that's a huge pressure on the small company to be constantly evaluating their human teachers, which means a big workforce of evaluators, and of people to train those teachers. So the bit that we're looking to use AI for is not to replace any of that human tutoring, but to help the evaluation process so that you don't have to have an army of evaluators in order to say yeah, this is a good interaction, this is working well. But of course, it's not just about ticking the box, it's then about using that to help the professional development of the tutors. So, you reduce the number of evaluators you need, which helps this little company to scale and bring in more teachers to more humans, and at the same time, you feed into the training of those tutors in a very personalized way, because you use the evidence of their interactions to feed into their training material, but that's not how you might, we might have started, but it wasn't how we started when we first started talking to them about what are the key pro, you know where are the key challenges where, where's the bottleneck what's not working and then okay, now where does AI do something useful here and actually that's a space where AI can operate. Effectively, but it's very much trying to make more human tutoring possible, not less.
1: Mm. The other in- intriguing example about you know, enabling human tutoring was the virtual reality. Well, I'm thinking yes. about that in the. course yeah, I've never really thought about that as AI. Yeah. Yeah. But it, do you would you, would you consider it as AI? I
2: would consider it virtual reality as most of it is now yeah. AI. But I think the potential for AI-enhanced virtual reality is yeah.
1: huge. Yeah, because you can imagine your know, virtual classrooms um, for you know teachers to get used to uh, the interactions that they might be having with, yeah. with students and Retraining where they might be going around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. I think I think it's got a lot of potential. I mean, it's kind of builds on previous work done in the AI Ed community, where there's a, tradi- a small tradition, but it is a tradition of learning companion. Systems where you would allow somebody to have... It was originally based on an old Chinese saying, which I think was rooted in historical truth about princes. Learning with the prince. The prince would always have a a person who would learn with them, so there was somebody else, and there would be the companion and and the student would work together, and I guess kind of probably help each other move forward so some systems were built with an artificially intelligent mm-hmm. companion Well, I could imagine that happening with a teacher so you've got your companion teacher who you're learning to be effective with and then you've got your virtual students who you're testing things mm-hmm. out of before you're let loose <laughs> sort of like <laughs> yeah, I mean, why seems. Not? you know you're not going to harm any <laughs> <No> <laughs> are harmed in mm-hmm. the, the making of this virtual reality but yeah I think there's a lot of potential mm-hmm. I think there are, of course, risks too. And, you know, at what point does it become the overlap between the virtual and the real kind of gets muddled up somewhere along the line? <laughs> you know, that, that I think we have to be careful about. But, yeah, I think there's some real potential
0: there. Yes, yeah. yeah, so um, al- I could almost say an, a kind of uncanny valley thing going on. Yeah. I, I remember talking to somebody a few years ago about the fact that there are so many uh, kind of fake... Um, people on dating sites oh, yes. so that there were people having conversations yeah. and not Not like yeah. from personal experience people having conversations with these intelligent agents in dating sites and having no idea that it wasn't actually a real human on the other end so there were, there were some kind of weird things I think around yeah. that and the more I thought about it the more I thought well you know a it, it must be passing some sort of turing test because yeah. you know people are obviously not telling the difference no. um but b there's also some really kind of weird things that must come out of that i mean it can't be a, a perfect sort of setup you would imagine that it would fall over from time to time so what would happen if for example you had a student in a virtual environment like that and it might build up to the point where there could be you know a percentage of them that are, are real people and a percentage of them that are virtual people and how do you tell the difference and does it get awkward and what happened you know yes yeah. yeah
2: no i think you do have to be really careful i think the, i mean one of the very very early systems that's talked about a lot was eliza and this was a you know an ai that you talked to about your problems and it was incredibly simple but actually fooled a lot of people you know in those very constrained conversations you can do this but it doesn't take a lot for it to fall over. You know. you I had an assignment. In, in, bit, yeah. One of the
0: assignments that I had to do in, in third year when I was in my undergraduate degree was to see how fast you could break Eliza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: exactly. You know, and it doesn't take much. No. So I think, but I think, you know, as systems get much, much smarter, then it's harder. But I think that's where the transparency comes in. You know, if you were to have a, a mixed virtual and real classroom in a vr i think it would be important that people did know something about now i know there's been some very effective work done um particularly in the u.s around giving students tutors online tutors and they never know whether it's the human or the ai that's helping them with their assignment and you know i guess one argument is well fair enough if they're getting help does it matter whether it was an ai or a real person but i don't know i have a sort of a I think transparency is going to become really important. Otherwise we're going to end up being duped by things and that's why I'm not sure we're in a very healthy space.
1: Does it change outcomes if, if students you know, are aware of the fact that it's... I think the right studies are.
2: that have been done so far, but I need to check the facts to be sure, I think it's been that students have known that some of the tutorial t- assistants are AIs, but they don't know which ones. Can they detect? Apparently not. (laughs) That's cool. Um, But I think, again, it's a very specific set of issues that are often being dealt with by these Mm -hmm. assistants. And actually, in terms of assistance, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I'm not sure we need to hide the fact that they're AIs. I think, let's be honest from the outset, about what is an AI and what isn't an AI, rather than constantly trying to dupe people into thinking it's a real person, such as on the dating side. I'm guessing there's a commercial reason for that. Though. <laughs> okay, <there's more laughs> guys on a there a huge <laughs> variety of people available for you when you were three. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit different. And actually a very good argument for transparency for me. Mm-hmm consumers point of view (laughs) an ethics point of view
0: talking to this person it was pretty clear that there wasn't a lot of transparency there (laughs) they didn't want anybody to know so no no no
2: it it sort of strikes
0: me in this that there must be a limit to this as well so if you think about the example going back to the collaborative problem solving if there's an aspect of this that requires people to sort of sit back and make some sense of it from a a sort of sense of self a metacognitive kind of way of, of you know, being in that problem-solving situation, you could start to see in, in those sorts of circumstances it might be really hard for an AI to be able to yeah. adapt unless it's kind of somehow circumventing the system and just giving a response as though it had some some sort of awareness of its role in the... This that's is, true. And that's where it, I yeah, think that's it's really right, great. but
2: I think that's where there could be a really interesting role for virtual collaborators because in a work situation, there are going to be settings we don't know the detail of them and, and there will be some that already exist where you might have a team of four and one of them's an AI because you don't necessarily work with them face-to-face piped one of them. you know, what, what would the advantage of knowing that was an AI be or not knowing that was an AI you know, I can see a situation where having an AI that goes off and finds out the facts really, really quickly and presents them back to you in a usable way identifies the thing that you need to know that's really useful why do we want to hide the fact that's an AI I don't think we necessarily do but you're not expecting that AI to do the very careful human interaction there was a really nice example I thought in the um, TV programme I referred to where um, they were looking at it was Watson's oncology expertise and identifying how good it was at actually matching patients to potential treatment plans but as the uh, the human doctor said, "Yeah, but well, wouldn't be any good at breaking the bad news to the, the patient, you know." So, and that's so true, you know. You want the human to explain bedside manner. <laughs> the bedside, you know, you don't actually want to hear that from. I don't think. <laughs> so it, it's it, there's no need to hide the AI. Yep. Yeah. Let the AI do what it's good at, know that's what it's good at, and know what yes. its limits are.
0: Because yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a lot more sophisticated than Clippy the paperclip. But I guess that brings out an issue in, a, a, in that we will inherently treat what we think is a machine differently to what we yeah, inherently think is a human. Yeah, and
2: that's a, that's a really <laughs> thorny ethical issue there as well, you know, when you get into these conversations about machine rights and all this kind of thing. Yeah, we would, but I think, you know, going back to your original example, you know, of Siri and people that don't think of it as AI. I I listen to people with their Alexas and their Siris, and actually we do treat them just like humans. (laughs) So it doesn't necessarily lead people...
1: Yeah, so it's, sort of it's true. I'm guilty of telling Siri that I love her to see what response I would get back on. you <laughs> know, emotional questions. Yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, She's quite brutal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So they, they seem to change over time, you know, depending obviously on, on what's going on with the, the, the back end of Siri that, yeah, the, the responses to questions about, do you like Alexa or, like AIs, you know, has led to different answers over the months yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I've noticed. Yeah.
2: yeah, so I think.
1: The doctor example is interesting because, isn't there some research, and I can't uh, put my mind on what the actual research is, but do people trust, uh, you know, the, the decisions made by computer algorithms less than humans? Isn't there something that suggests that we just we find AI less trustworthy? And so that's why, one reason why you might want to disguise an AI. It As could a be, although I suspect that's
2: changing. Because thinking about the increase in the number of bots, I mean there's so many websites now, aren't there, where you know, would you like to chat? You know, and you mm. know it's not a human, you know it's a mm. and yet people seem to accept it increasingly a familiarity. that actually it gets something quickly sorted. Mm. You know, whereas actually if you hung on the line for twenty five minutes for the next human operative <laughs> and you may not get a satisfactory answer anyway. So I think people are becoming more accepting. I think it will take time, but I think the more that the accuracy of AI doing what it's good at is demonstrated, then the more trusting people will become. Because there is no question, when you're searching for specific bits of information, AI is brilliant. Mm. You know, and way, way quicker than, than
1: we are. So it's probably a matter of familiarity and, and availability yeah. of yeah. AIs in our yeah. environments. Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, I think the accuracy is probably a really big issue. I think, I remember the the first few times I tried to use Siri and it didn't really give me that. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't even make sense, That's that answer. Exactly, but it's improved exactly. so much now yeah, that i does. found over time that I've been more willing to think yeah. about using it yeah. when I've got something that I couldn't be bothered, you know, going through a whole Google search for. So... It is interesting to see that change. I think the other thing is when you get those pop-ups where, you know, do you want to chat now, which to me, I think it's obvious now that they're bots, but when they first started to come yeah. up, I felt guilty about saying so no. I was like, yeah. oh, is there somebody on the other side? And I wasn't quite sure. Yes,
2: yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I, I I, don't know. I think, yeah, it's, I think most of the time people, well, I don't know, maybe not everybody does realise they're not human. I don't know. But I think... We do have to be careful not to give the impression that AI is neutral in some way, because of course it isn't. I mean, even deep learning systems aren't neutral, really, because who decides what they're trained on? And, you know, okay, they then learn from right. from their own data sets that they create, etc cetera, et cetera. But even so, it's not neutral. And I do think we have to keep reminding people that
1: Somebody's feeding in that information yeah. into and the AI system. Yeah, that needs to
2: be a greater ethical approach in a lot of corporates.
1: What are the thorny instances. ethical issues, you know, aside from the obvious ones? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that, the, the, in terms of education, I think we definitely have to look at the, the privacy issue with relation to the sort of data that AI needs to operate effectively, but I think there are also things like where do you let the AI make the decision I mean for example um, if you were going to, and I'm not saying you should do this just an example um, if you were going to decide that at a certain point in a child's development in the UK we've had a selective education system in parts of the country for a number of years some years previously more schools, some reducing the current prime minister would like to increase it. So if you decide at 11, that child is going to go in one direction or the other. How about making and letting an AI take that decision? How, how mm-hmm. would people feel about that? I think posing questions like that would get people thinking, so would you be happy with that?" On what basis? <laughs> Who's programmed that? It, you know, where would you let an AI make a decision? I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very difficult issue. I think who has access to what the AI does? Who makes the decision about where AI is brought into an education organisation? How much do they understand about what they're bringing in? lots of difficult issues around there and then what's the relationship um between the professional human educator and the system when it comes to responsibility so if there's a complaint from a student ha- how's that one get dealt mm. with so i think that, that and they're just a tiny subset of and and inevitably as we get to some kind of conclusion around one ethical issue another one is going to pop up. So we need people to be curious about these things and to want to find out and to want to understand. It's sort of, just for everybody, I think we've got to start trying to get people to want to understand what the different bits of technology they're doing do and how they do it, not in some detailed way, but in enough of detail, that they actually understand the implications of what this thing is doing. There's been quite a lot of press in the UK, and this is not specific to AI, but I actually think it's a sort of forewarning of what will happen with AI around Internet of Things devices, because actually too many people don't alter default settings, don't protect things with passwords. You know, you have your Alexa or equivalent set up with your account details, in that instance it would be on Amazon you go away you leave people staying in your house oh my goodness gosh can they you know and, and a lot of other things can happen if you don't mm. change these things and that's become much more of a concern you know, so you see various press articles about this now with AI systems there will be an equivalent you know if people just if, if companies produce consumer AI products for education that people just, oh, yeah, that's going to make my life easier. I'm going to have this thing. You know, that'll offload, I can offload some of my learning to this AI thing. I could imagine that being a commercially attractive proposition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're getting into some quite difficult territory there, and do people really understand what they're doing with this AI that appears to be doing part of the job for them when it comes to their learning? We then get into issues about... Plagiarism? You know, has my AI done half of my assignment for me? You
1: know? It's a very difficult issue. That is interesting. Yeah,
0: I knew there was a reason I didn't like Clippy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Poor old Clippy.
0: It yes, gets you a bad rap. get a bad press,
2: doesn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah, but how much of that's to do with the interface? How much <clears> of it?
2: <laughs> because it didn't work very well as well.
1: <laughs> I suppose as well at the core we're trying to change people. In some way, you know, yeah. you know, and this is nudge research. suffers from the same sorts of ethical yes, issues. Yes. And you're trying to change people's behavior, yes. and often unbeknownst to people. Yeah. Um. And so I suppose that's probably an issue with AI and education yeah, as well. it is.
2: Yes. Um. And for me, the way around that is to get people to actually genuinely want to understand themselves better, and that's not easy. But if we can, build on. As the fledgling curiosity people might have and say no you, you you know the real way forward is to understand more about yourself and then you'll know how you sell yourself to an employer how you demonstrate that you're good at this job that's what we really want people to do we want people to to want AI to help them understand themselves whatever they're doing um, and that way we might move away from some of the trickier ethical problems and actually one of the starting points might be to get people to take ownership of their data at an earlier age obviously with support but you know to actually want to be the key person in charge of their data and the analysis mm. that's done of their data and because they want to understand more about themselves But is a very different way of going about things so you know we need to start thinking differently about what we're trying to engage learners in, but actually engage most of the population in, in terms of trying to get them to understand more about what AI can do, but actually more importantly about themselves and how they get the best out of the data that is being analysed about them.
1: Imagine what the next generations are going to look like. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, well it could be.
2: It could be incredibly good and it could be incredibly bad. let try and do the things that will make it incredibly good.
0: So we've spent a bit of time talking about some of the sort of messy ethical yes. issues and we've covered some of the scary things. And, you know, hopefully we won't all end up being plugged into the matrix at so. some point. Um, Blue pill. So for me, I think that there's so many things that are exciting mm-hmm. about this work. Um, and one of the things I think that's come up a couple of times is that, you know, it, it really is creating this space where you've got people from lots of different disciplines mm. all, all working on this, this one area and coming together to try and figure things out. Um, what is it about all of this that excites you the most? Where are we going with this? What's, what's you know, on the horizon? I think
2: it's quite personal for me, I think. Um, I want people to fulfill their potential. It's why I went into teaching before I even knew what AI was. I wanted people to fulfil their potential and that was brought home to me very um, clearly when I was teaching probably not very well in a very challenging secondary school in the UK with learners with huge problems and no appetite for learning and lots of difficulties. And I had one young lady who was a young mother and I could find no way within the system that we lived in to demonstrate that she was good at anything and yet I would see her at weekends with this child beautifully turned out, clearly properly fed. She was obviously had skills around planning and looking after her maybe she had some help, but she could do things. But I couldn't find a way of demonstrating that that was valued by the system. Mm. And so it left me feeling that I wasn't helping that child fulfill their potential. I wasn't giving them the support and that's not a good feeling as a teacher and an educator. And so for me it's all about being able to help everybody no matter what their current level of understanding of a subject is or their current skill level. It's helping everybody fulfill their potential from the brightest, highest achieving to people who are really struggling. Now, that's what gets me up in the morning. I want systems that are gonna help us do that. And I want to be able to, um, it's hard when you say level the playing field because it sounds like you're saying I wanna bring the top people down. I don't want to do that at all. I just wanna help everybody get to the next level for them. to go on getting to the next level and to get some satisfaction out of their learning and and to see where they can go because for a lot of young people it's just not there and if you live in the wrong part of the country or you're born into a family that's got problems Mm. it's really hard to make it out of that if you're born into a family that understands the importance of education and that can help you You've got such a huge advantage. So what can we do to try and help everybody get to fulfill their potential? That's the thing I care about the most. And I think AI can help us do that. But obviously, we've got to design the systems with that in mind.
0: I like that. I think that's a great philosophy to be building them from. <laughs> I like that. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. It would be good. I'm convinced it's possible. And I suppose you have far mm. greater reach as well with mm. AI systems, just on a geological, absolutely. geographical level. Mm.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. If you think about the latest estimate from the OECD about um, shortage of human teachers globally, you know, 69 million, I think it is by 2030. Oh gosh, we're an intelligent race we've got all these tools, surely we can do something about that. And I don't mean by putting robot teachers in front of them. I mean by helping, you know, more people become teachers, teachers who are there being more effective, reaching more people. You know, we've got to sit and think about these things and and work out how we deal with that so that you don't get such huge amounts of the population, not even get a basic education.
0: It's just wrong. Agreed. Yeah, couldn't agree more.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming and having a conversation with yeah. It was lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet the <laughs> two of you as well. Thank you for <laughs> asking me. <laughs>
0: so where, where can people find you? Like if they want to find out more about your work, what's the easiest way to...
2: Probably to talk, you um, I have pages from my university, so that's University College London, but I also um, not far too infrequently write a blog that I try and make accessible and it mainly focuses on AI. It's called The Knowledge Illusion. And it's trying to make these days, it's very much focusing on trying to make AI accessible for all of them. And I love hearing from people, so you know, look me up. <laughs> all
0: right, great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>